Low-dose naltrexone, a medication and therapy that has been used since the 1980s for immune disorders, fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis, and many more conditions. It has a very unique mechanism that addresses underlying factors in ways that are often unaddressed by standard therapies. This is Dr. Adam Rindy, and this is the One Thing Podcast. Today, I welcome a very special guest, Dr. Dawn Ibsen, and she's going to share with us her expertise in low-dose naltrexone. Welcome to the One Thing Podcast, Dr. Ibsen. Well, thank you, Dr. Rindy, for having me today. And just you, you mentioned already that I'm an interesting guest, and I, I think probably one of the reasons I'm interesting is because I'm a doctor of pharmacy, so hopefully I'll bring a different perspective to your show today. Absolutely. Yeah, I think putting together a pharmacist with a clinician brings up a lot of unique ways to look at health and medication and disease. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm happy to be here. And and you're right. That's, that's the best part about being part of the healthcare team. And it's so important for patients to have that whole team approach of, you know, pharmacists and integrative providers and people who can take things and look at them from a different angle to help. And naltrexone, little naltrexone has been a drug that I know you and I have both worked with for a long time now, and um, both have seen great success with our patients in it. So I'm excited to share that information with your listeners today. Yeah. And I've learned a lot with from you, working with you in the community here and calling you as a, as a pharmacist and consulting with you on cases and so I thought it'd be great we could sit down and, and go through this topic on a deeper level. And uh, so if you could just discuss with us what brought you into uh, a focus or an understanding of low-dose naltrexone on a deeper level. Yeah, sure. So like most pharmacists, I have a doctorate of pharmacy degree from University of Washington. There's several schools in the nation. And Lucky for me, I got into the field of being a compounding specialist pharmacist, which means that everything I do is medications made from scratch and always to solve medication problems of what commercially medications aren't able to do for patients. So in that, that's exactly where low-dose naltrexone fit. Um, you know, naltrexone had been around since the 80s, as you mentioned, as a commercially available tablet, um, the history of it was quite interesting, had to do with uh, drug addiction and, you know, veterans in wartime, basically. Um, but it was it in the 80s that it began to be looked at at how else it could it help patients. And because it's not something that's commercially made by a drug company, compounding specialists such as myself were the ones that began initially first working with this medication. And um, it was through those early on workings that I realized that this had a lot of potential to help a lot of our patients and really started delving deep into the research behind it directly. And I've been an expert in low-dose naltrexone therapy in Washington State for about five, six years now, um, and even you know teach and speak on a national level for it as well. So that's kind of kind of my path. Yeah. And if you could just take us through some 101 basics on low-dose naltrexone for people who are fairly new to it, including like how, how does it work and what is it doing in the body? 
Yeah, be happy to do that. So as I mentioned, the, the reason the drug was being researched in the first place was for its anti-opiate or anti-narcotic effects of blocking the receptors, um, you know, trying to keep people from getting high off of narcotics, essentially. Um, but it was it was in the 80s that a doctor in New York, Dr. Zagon, um, actually it was prior to him even, um, Dr. Bahari, he was working with HIV population in New York, and he started using teeny tiny doses of this drug. Um, he was using three milligrams just daily at bedtime and just monitored endorphin levels. And, you know, endorphins are those inner inner body substances that make us feel good, right? And they help us naturally with pain levels. And what he found was that these low doses of naltrexone were roughly 50 to 70% effective in his patient population. And um, that he found that his patients just did better overall with their HIV status. And it was after that, that research began trying to determine why is that? And well, we knew that it hit opiate receptors. And we, through this research, knew that therefore it would increase endorphin levels in patients. And, and this was people. And through that, we found that it seemed to be helping with pain, but also started to play an effect on the immune system. And we call it an immune modulator. So it helps the immune system behave more correctly. But along with hitting these opiate receptors, it also works on another receptor in the body called toll-like receptor factor four. You may actually think it works at toll-like receptor factor nine as well. And those are, are inf inflammatory pathways. And they're typically in the CNS and in microglial cells. And what they ultimately do is they help to reduce the overall level of inflammatory cytokines. And these are pro-inflammation causers in the body, such as substance P, nitric oxide, and other excitatory amino acids. But even more, another mechanism that we have seen that it seems to have is that it can down-regulate T cells. And when it does that, it actually improves the function of our immune system. So it's a multifaceted, multi-mechanism of action medication, essentially. Okay, so when you're talking about T cells, are you talking about T cells that are overactive? Correct. So helping to bring the body back to homeostasis, to that more natural level of normal, helping to the immune function to work properly. Okay. So modulation, in case people don't understand that term, can you go into that a little bit? Be, you know, a lot of people are used, are used to the term like suppression. Um, what is modulation? Yeah. So with modulation, it's actually helping to improve the immune system or get the immune system to work more correctly. So um, say, for instance, uh, in the sense of multiple sclerosis, that's a great example of a disease state that it's doing that in. With multiple sclerosis, the immune system is completely working inappropriately. And with low-dose naltrexone, it can actually bring the immune system back to working correctly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a balancer. Yes, it helps to balance. It keeps the teeter-totter at a level position versus one end clear up in the sky overreacting. 
Okay. So based on that description, you've talked about some neurologic disorders or neuroinflammatory disorders that LDN might be appropriate, such as disorders that have brain inflammation that's gone awry. Can you go into a little bit more about some of the conditions that you've seen it help through research and then also through your practice? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to share with that. Um, The early research that we have most clinical data or studies behind would include um, the disease states of multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, and Crohn's disease. And this research goes back pretty solidly to the early 2000s when it really was starting to come out. Um, With fibromyalgia, they've really found great effects with it. And same with MS. With MS, it can slow the progression of disease as well as help get patients back to normal. Um, I personally know several, a few patients that were actually wheelchair bound that no longer are. Um, With Crohn's disease, the studies that were done early on were by Dr. Jill Smith. And in her studies, um, she actually has shown uh, pictures even of the reversal of inflammatory process within the GI system. Um, So those were where it sort of started. Since then, it's really become more of a process of really thinking about a condition in the aspect of, is this condition being caused by an inflammatory process? And if it is, then it has been, it is kind of becoming that low-dose naltrexone keeps coming up repeatedly as a possible tool to help patients reduce their inflammatory response and therefore have a positive effect on their medical condition. So we're seeing it now, even in cases of Hashimoto's and Graves disease, which are thyroid disorders, um, Lyme disease. And then more recently with different dosing protocols, we're starting to work with this medication because of how it increases endorphins in patients who have depression that has been non-responsive to other treatments and PTSD um, and some more psychological issues. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you for going into that. It's always a question from my patients when I bring up LDN is they'll go home and research about it. And then they'll, a lot of people will contact me, even if I've warned them, um, about this is they'll contact me and say, you know, this is a medication that they use for people with alcoholism. Can you explain the difference? Yes. So low-dose naltrexone itself would frankly not be helpful probably at all for um, conditions of addiction, alcohol-related. Um, it's used differently. The doses are completely different. Typically for alcoholism, you're looking at doses of 50 milligrams to even 300 milligrams in a day. And what we're speaking of today is what we call low-dose naltrexone, which is commonly doses of roughly 4.5 milligram or sometimes even less. So, you know, a tenth or even more lower than what we were traditionally using it. And because of that, it tends to have a completely different mechanism of action and effect on the body. Mm-hmm. And so going into that a little bit deeper with the dosing, um, usually um, there's there's sort of an art to 
to dosing LDN. Can you kind of go into that a little bit more? I mean, I, I think patients have driven this in a lot of ways with their own attempts to see if they can gain benefit from it. Um, you know, with the lower, when, when someone starts therapy, what, what's the typical process of figuring out the right dose? Yeah, and you're right. There is definitely, you know, quite an art and science to where do we start and how do we progress? Um, there's definitely definitely some generalities, but it's important to remember that we as people who help patients, we really look at that patient individually and there will be particular reasons on why we might vary from what I'm going to say. So, this is not just a one-shot fix fixes all. In a patient who, say, has no thyroid imbalance at all and is simply working to regulate their immune system, maybe they're a fibromyalgia case or MS or something of that nature, we would generally start somewhere at about 0.5 milligram to 1.5 milligram. And that would be something that would be taken once daily and they would increase their dose roughly every two to four weeks, depending on how they're tolerating it and the response that they're getting. Um, definitely have seen this learned the hard way even that escalating the dose too quickly, you can very easily miss what we would call the sweet spot for a patient on where they're getting the best benefit of the drug and then begin to drive them into side effects that they might not you know, like or appreciate. So that's sort of a general dosing guideline. And most patients would end up titrating up to somewhere between three to four and a half milligram. If I have a patient who has Hashimoto's or some sort of thyroid involvement, I become extremely more conservative because there is the possibility that we could turn their thyroid function on overnight practically and get them into a situation of now too big a thyroid levels, so to speak. So with a patient with those types of involvement, I generally recommend starting at no higher than 0.5 milligram and doing their titration even slower. Um, yes, this is a drug that requires lots of patience. We're not going to win the race in one day, but we also have to remember that the the people that we're helping with this medication, their conditions often didn't develop overnight either. And it is a slow and steady progress um, to get to the right place. Yeah. And how, how do you know it's working? That's been one of the questions that I've seen come up clinically is you know, patients will say, I take it. I'm not quite sure what it's doing. Um, some people will, will have clear benefit, but others will say, you know, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, so we have to think about what is it we're trying to achieve with a therapeutic goal. Some things are pretty cut and dry, like um, for a fibromyalgia patient, it could be quality of life and, and pain scales. Um, but for other patients like MS, that's a really tricky one in the sense of we might not completely reverse their disease pathway that they've already begun on. We likely could have some effect on overall quality of life. But we may also be delaying disease progression. And that's a really hard one because you don't know unless you stop taking the drug and then wait to see if the MS gets worse. And that's mm -hmm. tough. Um, 
I do have patients that very clearly can answer that question, did the drug work, yes or no. But I have a lot of patients as well that uh, it's not quite as clear. Sometimes they'll go on a vacation from it and then find that, gosh, this really was actually helping. Mm-hmm. And then we have other patients where we have to think about risk versus benefit. It's a low-risk drug. It's not expensive, generally speaking. And that if it is, say, in like an MS case, slowing disease progression, it might be of benefit to continue regardless of clear black and white uh, symptom management. Right. That makes sense. So let's talk about dreams. <laughs> I hear a lot yep. of stories about when you start low-dose naltrexone that uh, you might have some interesting dreams. Yeah, that is dreams, insomnia um, are the most common side effect reported by patients uh, taking low-dose naltrexone. Um, You're right. It's usually, if it's going to happen, going to be at the initiation of starting the medication, but it can be persistent. Um, We used to think as clinicians pretty pretty hard fast that this drug needed to be taken at bedtime. And if it wasn't taken at bedtime, there was no point. Um, Part of that has to do with it's, it's overnight that our bodies make the biggest production of endorphins. And what we were trying to accomplish was putting the drug low dose naltrexone in the body at the same time. So we could get that biggest, get the biggest peak possible in endorphin release And then therefore, by morning, the drug would metabolize out of the body and be gone, and we'd have that washout period. Because some patients were having difficulty um, tolerating the vivid dream portion, patients and clinicians started moving the timing of that drug to different times of the day, and they found that they could still have a similar positive effect of getting the naltrexone to increase in endorphins getting the inflammatory process down and correcting the immune system dysfunction, but also able to allow patients to get good sleep again, not have the persistent, you know, vivid dreams or other conditions they may have been experiencing. Mm -hmm. And is it true that in most patients who do have some sleep disruption in the beginning, in most patients that will resolve fairly frequently, so they'll be able to tolerate the medication? Yeah, resolution often does occur um, most of the time, but there will be some patients that um, it doesn't, and that's fine. That's individualized medicine, and then we can have that flexibility. But we usually do ask patients to, if they can, hang in there with it because it often does get better over time. That makes sense. Any other side effects that you would mention Yeah. So I did mention one briefly when I was talking about dosing that um, it can cause patients who have autoimmune uh, or similar type thyroid disorders to become um, hyperthyroid. So that's why we're really careful with those patients on how we dose their low-dose naltrexone. Um, Some patients will report stomach upset or cramping or loose stools that's usually a transient side effect too, meaning that that side effect will usually go away within the first couple weeks of therapy and typically can be managed you know, appropriately with adding fiber to the diet or making some accommodations with diet at the initial onset. Um, I have seen in patients clinically that 
get impatient and titrate their dose too high too quickly, it can cause some agitation or maybe uh, anxiety feelings. Um, and usually those patients, if we pull them off the naltrexone and get them to titrate uh, at lower doses and over a longer period of time, that usually writes itself as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, would it be possible to bring a case to you just to kind of as a teaching tool and we can talk a little bit about um, from one of our listeners, just something that they've experienced and we can just talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so working with one patient that's utilizing the therapy for ulcerative colitis, um, and they this particular patient has a, a lot of um, unmanaged ulcerative colitis as far as hasn't quite found uh, stability in managing the condition. And they've been doing LDN for over a year and they're wondering um, if they're at the peak dose, is there any sense of trying different dosing strategies? Or and when someone is trying to, uh, is kind of getting to a year trial without seeing much benefit, um, what, what are some of the things you've seen that might be helpful? But I understand if this is something that you would rather have them consult with their clinician about. But generally, if you have any case histories of anybody that you would be sure be able to answer that question with? Sure. So there's a, there's a few considerations we would want to take in a case such as this. So of course this isn't designed to be a perfect answer, but they're considerations for sure. Um, one might wonder if the dose that this patient has been on for say roughly, it sounds like a year straight, if that dose actually um, maybe was too high in general, um, because being not a one-size-fits-all medication, I have a lot of patients where the research, said, research says 4.5 milligrams daily. However, they find they have the best benefit at, say, 3 milligrams daily. And if we wanted to investigate whether that was a scenario with this patient, what we would actually do is take the patient back off the medication, leave them off of it for a short period of time, uh, say a month. And then we would re we would start them over, retitrate up at starting with probably 0. 0.5, 0.5 milligram dosing and increasing every two to four weeks. Um, so that's one aspect of is this patient not responding in a positive symptomatic way because the dose is too high? The other consideration could possibly be, and I'd say this is probably less likely, but is a possibility of Maybe 4.5 milligram isn't the sweet spot for this patient, and we are seeing some patients actually have better benefit from creeping up ever so slightly to, say, 5 milligrams or a bit above that even. Um, so that's another, another possibility that could be looked at. With uh, Crohn's ulcerative colitis, that is a disease state that we can actually have some objective data clinically around to see what sorts of responses we're getting. Um, C-reactive protein and um, ESRs, are SED rates, are sometimes monitored and can be a positive correlation to therapeutic benefit of naltrexone. So that could be a monitoring, monitoring parameter for in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read somewhere that 
actually I read and after attending one of your lectures, I heard you mention that fibromyalgia patients with a higher SED rate will respond better to therapy. Right. So it seems, seems to be, yeah, um, individual based, but that, those are very good suggestions. Thank you. I think that yeah, of it's, a, it's in- interesting to think about, you know, most people would just assume that you may need to increase a dose, but in low dose naltrexone, it might be the opposite way. You might need to decrease the dose. Right. Another consideration to think about is, you know, this is likely a patient whose gut health is obviously not very healthy at the moment. And um, absorption issues can play into that with this medication. Mm. Um, it may be something that this patient changing, if she's if this person is doing a solid capsule, maybe switching over to um, either a transdermal uh, could be something to consider if gut health is really, really poor or even a sublingual solution based as well. Um, might might be able to get better benefit also. But we do know that gut health is pretty critical, and, and that's why a lot of patients will be recommended to be taking probiotics and things of that nature to help help with that. Well, that is really good a good suggestion. Um, yeah, especially as you mentioned malabsorption, so finding other routes of of absorption topically, or you said sublingually, right? Correct. And with the sublingual, they'd hold it in their mouth; they would end up swallowing it. But we would just try to get some some dose absorbed. Uh, sooner. Okay. Well, I have a question. I, I've actually seen recently that low-dose naltrexone is being used in conventional medicine um, in combination with um, Wellbutrin um, for weight weight management. Can you talk about that? That was a sort of a surprise for me. Yeah. there There's actually um, a commercially manufactured by a drug company um, medication available on the market. And you're right, it does combine the use of bupropion and naltrexone together in one dosage form. Um, it's working primarily on blocking the mental, um, mental health food craving component of weight management. Mm-hmm. So um, it's dosed differently. Um, it's usually like a starting dose on the naltrexone portion of nine milligrams and worked up to uh, right about 18 milligrams taken twice daily, just speaking from the naltrexone component of that medication. Um, and like I mentioned, what, what it's actually doing is helping with sort of a food addiction component to weight loss. And because of that, there there is some look at using it in even other addiction medicines, such as um, gambling addiction and things of that nature, because it's helping to trick or rewire the brain to not have those profound cravings. Oh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So thanks for explaining that. Um, Well, we really appreciate you being here with us um, in such a very busy time. And um, I know you're in great demand right now. And thank you for spending this time with us. I thought we could conclude with any take-home messages. And also, if people want to um, follow your work or learn more about you, I know you're on faculty at University of Washington at Bastyr, and you're really out there doing a lot of things. So um, if you could share just a few take-home points and just uh, how people could follow you or get more resources on LDN. Oh, absolutely. So... Um, you know, my take home message is this is generally now low dose naltrexone is a drug that is safe and often effective. 
very low risk medication. It's either going to help a patient or it won't. Um, and then good resource if they do want to get more solid information on low dose naltrexone, um, there is the LDN Research Trust website that is really good, solid information. And then how to best follow me. Um, I own Kusler's and Clark's Compounding Pharmacies. Um, Kusler's is in Snohomish and um, is Kusler's.com. And then Clark's is in Bellevue. And I'm active on social media through both of those pharmacies pages. And they're welcome to call the stores. Um, Kusler's is 360-568-1297 and Clark's is 425-881-0222. I have a fabulous staff. All of my pharmacists are highly trained to work with LDN and any of them would be happy to talk with patients or community members on how to, how to help them live their healthiest life. And thank you for having me today. Yeah. And I would just, I want to vouch for your staff at Kusler's and Clark's. It's just been so great to be able to lean on your staff and my patients. And I know all of us clinicians, thank you for the quality work you do. And uh, yeah, it just gives us a lot of confidence um, working with you. So thank, thank you. you. That means a lot. And I'll be sure to, sure to share that with our teams. We work really hard for our communities. All right. Well, Don, thanks for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you sometime down the road. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the low-dose daltrexone-focused One Thing podcast with Dr. Don Ibsen. I hope that you continue to learn a lot from these episodes. If you could do me a great favor and like the episode in your favorite podcast player and share the episode to your friends and colleagues, please get the message out. And I'm going to put in a special request these podcasts have been a passion of mine for well over a year, and I would appreciate if you'd be so kind to consider sponsoring our podcast through the sponsor option at anchor.fm backslash Adam hyphen Rindy, R-I-N-D-E. That's the Anchor homepage for our podcast. I'd like to keep increasing the quality of content that I provide and one way I can do that is with some support from you all. It helps me with updated equipment, the ability to put more time into these episodes. I'm also looking to finding ways to get listeners special discounts on products and information and resources that I find valuable. Look forward to future episodes and thanks again for tuning into the One Thing Podcast.